Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, January 22nd, we are studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. As Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, he begins to expound upon the law. He starts with the fifth commandment, in which God bestows the gift of life. As Jesus teaches, he does so with his divine authority, and he reveals the true depth of the word that he has given. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Brady Finnern. Pastor Finnern serves at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Happy Epiphany. To you as well, Pastor Finnern. So as we get started today in Matthew chapter 5, give us some context. Where are we in Matthew's gospel overall? Where are we in the Sermon on the Mount as we approach the text today? Well, I, I'm, I'm very excited to be looking at Matthew, and that was really fun to be able to to dig into Matthew. I've done a lot of reading on it. I wouldn't say that I'm any more knowledgeable about it, but one of the one of the great joys is just to really step back a few levels, and I know you've gone through this for a while, but to look at Matthew himself, um, that he he's a guy that when he writes this, you can almost feel and get a sense of his understanding of grace, as we understand um, God's riches at Christ's expense, simply because in the Synoptic Gospels we hear of him being a tax collector, one of the most uh, least liked people out there, and Jesus simply comes to him and says, follow me. So he knows what it's like to be in the darkness. I mean, this is the season of Epiphany, really. He knows what it's like to be in the darkness, and in Christ, he is in the light. And so for me, whenever I read Matthew, I, I try to remember those realities of of Matthew himself, knowing what it's like to be in sin and um, to be on the outskirts of society, outskirts of the religious community, and then to be welcomed in simply by the, the grace of Jesus. And that's that's really who we all are, as ones who have seen, who are in darkness and now have seen a great light. So that's Matthew's um, background. At the same time, he's writing it according. I've done a lot of reading with David Scares books on the discourses in Matthew. Um, he also wrote a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount and then Dr. Gibbs's uh, commentary on Matthew. And one of the things that David Scarray brings out is the understanding of this book was written by Matthew to teach the Jewish um, people who were learning the faith. And if you look at the whole book, there's um, tons and tons of references to the Old Testament because he's trying to prove to these individuals that this Jesus is the Christ. And so that, that, that seeps into this, too, where you see the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest of teaching moments um, to be able to teach them, uh, okay, you're in the light, you're in this community, and how, how does it look like to live? So he gets into the um, Beatitudes, he talks about salt and light, and right before this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus stands up and gives this great sermon, is he tells them very wholeheartedly that all of this, that I say, all of what you've known, everything that you've heard in the past, everything that has to do with the one true God is fulfilled in me. So you look at all the scriptures, going back to Genesis 3.15, and it will keep going and, until the end. All of it points back to me, and um, not only what I'm teaching you, but ultimately going back to the cross. So he, that's, that's, kind of, that's the background of all of this, where he shows them, this is how you are to be as a child of the light. And he tells them, ultimately, this is about me, which leads us into this understanding of, of anger and the need for reconciliation. The fact that Matthew is, is writing primarily to those of, of Jewish background, trying to teach them the faith that Jesus is the Christ, I think is going to be important for us as we dig into these verses today and in the, the sections that follow where we're going to hear Jesus say multiple times, you have heard that it was said. So he's, mm. he's digging into that background that, that these people would have had. And, and maybe, maybe you can give us at least a, a bit of a teaser before we read the text and, and maybe fully expound upon it. But, but when he says, 
you have heard that it was said, as we'll hear it in this text and again in text to follow, what's he what's he doing there? Why why is what was said not is he contradicting? Was it not sufficient? What what's going on there? Well, it's it's just like when um uh when you're being taught something as as you get older and you say, Well, you've heard your you've heard your mother or father say, right? You know, just bringing back the old the old memories of things. And one of them is, um, this is something that Dr. Gibbs talks about, is that uh, you have heard, and goes back to the disciples, he's speaking to them and others, about the old religious teachers, you know, that they would teach according to the laws, um, and he's pointing them back specifically to murder. You know, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. So he's bringing them back to, okay, here are the laws. Like, these are the laws you know, and he's not... Um, it's just like when he says in the the passages before this, um, I have not come to abolish the law to but fulfill them. So it's it's like having it's like having a diamond and you see a little part of it, and all of a sudden you see the whole thing. That you've heard murder and we, we pinpoint it to saying, Oh, well, okay, then we take out a knife and you stab that person. Clearly you are murdering and you have to go to court for this. But now he's showing the whole comprehension of, or the whole revelation of, what does this mean? Is it just simply murder? Is there more to this? Is it a heart issue? Is it an external issue? Is it a simply a court issue? Is it a God issue? So he's pulling back, almost like uh, peeling an orange, if you will, um, peeling back all of that to show them the fullness of what is yet to be revealed. So that that's how I would um, compare that and how he's pulling everyone back a few steps to make sure we're all on the same page. He's not he's not contradicting the Old Testament. He's not overruling the Old Testament, but he's expounding upon what the Old Testament had been saying all along that mm-hmm. the religious leaders of Jesus day weren't getting into those depths. And so we're going to see him start to do that as you said already, Pastor Finner, in the matter of murder the fifth commandment here. So let's let's go ahead and read the text. This is Matthew 5 beginning at verse 21. Jesus continues, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So again, Pastor Finner, Jesus starts, you've heard that it was said to those of old. So I'm guessing those of old, this is, Jesus is saying, you've heard what, what Moses wrote, right? And this is what you've been taught. Again, what what is the, what's the teaching that they've heard that Jesus is going to say that doesn't go far enough? What's that teaching that they've heard? Well, I mean, it goes back to the Ten Commandments, specifically, uh, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And clearly, um, all of us, you know, we do not deny that or say, oh, that's that's no longer applicable to you today. He's he's simply pulling them back and showing them the fullness of, of this fifth commandment. And for us as, as Lutherans, remember uh, the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. What does this mean? Um, we should fear and love gods who do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. And for all of us, we kind of look at that and say, yeah, okay, that that makes sense. And so he's going back of old, and the people clearly would have remembered that one, because who would forget it? I mean, this is why um, if you watch 2020 on Friday nights, it's almost all it's about is the newest murder. You turn on the news at 6 o'clock, and it's almost always about the newest murder. Everybody knows that this is not the right thing. So it's going to perk their interest because if he's speaking on it, we we kind of perk our interest and go, oh, okay, all right, so what, what's it going to get to? 
you've heard it said, is it going to add something to this, or how is this going to happen? So the, the murder idea really does um, hit all um, people of all times and all nations because it is such a abhorrent thing and something that affects um, all of us, well, all of us in the way that we fear it. Um, and so he hits a, a tone that has been going back to all of human history. We'll go back to um, Cain and Abel, to be honest. And the way that it, it hits us is that you, we know murder is wrong. You know, God's, God's Word teaches us that he writes his law on, on all hearts. And this is, this is the example that I always bring up in my confirmation classes or, or Bible studies. When, when it, to talk about this point is that, you know, if you took a poll of the people in Smithfield, Texas, or in Sartell, Minnesota, and you asked them, is murder wrong? You would get an overwhelming percentage saying, yes, murder is wrong. We just, we know this. You'd have some that would want to argue some some gray points, but but overwhelmingly, 99%, maybe even 100, would say, yes, murder is wrong. But Jesus here is going to go beyond, I think the example you used was, was taking a knife and stabbing someone. He's going to take it deeper than that, and and to dig into the fullness of what God is saying when He says, "You shall not murder." Help us, help us start going there with Jesus, Pastor Finner. Yeah, um, I think first of all, He brings us all back um, to what do we fear more? So this goes back to the first commandment, and I think I take another step back here is. So he says, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And the first fear that many people have is, if I break a law, I'm very fearful of, of, um, of a police officer catching me. I'm fearful of the judge, or I'm fearful of this, or someone uh, catching me texting and driving, you know, those kind of things. And we're fearful of the government finding us. And we very clearly forget that it's God who sees it all, okay? And so... So that's a good reminder, and this whole thing goes back to God and our relationship with Him, and all that He knows, I mean, even knows the hairs in our head, He's going to know these things. And so He takes that, um, uh, you've heard it said, talks about murder, and then brings it back, and it's no longer just murder. It's about what happens in the heart. Now, what's interesting, too, is you've mentioned confirmation, is for me, whenever I teach this in, in any setting the Ten Commandments, people get a sense of relief when they first hear, hear it. They're like, oh, well, okay, well, I don't do that. Uh, you know, I might not always focus on God. I might swear a few times. I might miss church occasionally. I might be disrespectful to my parents. But the murder one, almost universally, everyone said, oh, good, I got that one. You know, slap your hands together, feel good about yourself. But Jesus doesn't allow that here. He, d- he doesn't allow you to look at this commandment and say, Oh, good, I got that figured out. Let's get to six and seven and eight and so forth. Is he pulls us all back to our own hearts and he shows us that this is not just about have I murdered someone, but it goes back to the anger that I hold in my heart. That whenever I have been angry at somebody, it is equivalent to me murdering them. And to me, that's terrifying. I mean, <laughs> that's just, you know. Um, and, and it's really terrifying in our world today because if you watch anything on TV, um, watch any political talks, or you watch protesters or anybody else, to be crass, people are murdering each other all the time. And then on a personal level, I know numerous times, um, all the time, I should say, that I've been angry with people, including my own family. And then you get that visual of realizing that I have truly fallen in the sight of God. I've failed my family. I've failed uh, people at my work and the church and ultimately to my Lord because he puts it and he puts all of us on the same level that me with, with the worst of murderers, that I have no way out of this, which is why I need a little bit of grace that he gave, or a lot of grace that he also gave to Matthew. Yeah, a lot of grace for sure. So let, let's start going into some of these things that Jesus says then. So murder is more than the physical act of taking a life, but he, as you said, takes it to the heart of the matter. And so he starts with everyone who is angry with his brother. 
will be liable to judgment. We probably can spend a good amount of time on this one, Pastor Fenner, when it comes to the matter of, of anger. Because I think we like to try to justify being angry. And that, that's true even as Christians, that, that we think we have a right to be angry about some things. And we will use examples, and, and we, can, we can pull even some Scripture passages. You get Psalm 4 and Ephesians chapter 4, where ta- Paul, Paul uses language like this. He says, be angry and do not sin. And so we, we want to try to, I think what, what we often try to do, I know I do, is that try to fit our anger into that category. Well, I'm angry now, but I'm not sinning. And I know Jesus isn't doing case law here. He's, he's not, you know, giving a, a series of, of checklists or something like that, that, that we can justify ourselves. But this matter of anger, th- this is just a hard thing for us as Christians. Help us to, to grapple with that. Yeah, it's really it's really difficult. Um, even when you look at Ephesians four, and you look at other ones that we could try to justify, James one talks about being slow to anger. It is it. There's never really an explicit that okay. Here is a righteous anger. You know, here's um, and we think of it in the realm of something like uh, like the Sunday for us. It's uh, it's a uh, um, life Sunday, where we'll sell, we thank God for all life, you know, from conception to natural death. And and when somebody doesn't want to support that, I mean, it's very easy for us to feel our anger rise. And if somebody's with you who agrees with you, we can even feel more justified in that anger. Um, and we can feel justified of somebody else's anger when we agree with them, even if they're belittling somebody else. Um, and we try to justify it. I think of a one scripture is you know, uh, Dr. Gibbs, uh, Jeff Jeff Gibbs from Concordia Seminary wrote uh, a, a a paper on the myth of righteous anger, and he doesn't go as far as to say that there is no possibility of righteous anger, but he's very clear that there there are so many references that of anger being equivalent with sin. And on top of that, the only righteous anger is clearly only in God's realm. And so for us, on a per, um, for me on a personal level, that when I get angry, I never make a good decision. You know, um, when I get angry, especially like with my kids or my bride, I say things I shouldn't. I overreact to things that are that are menial. You know, and and here. It's a reminder, all throughout the epistles, Paul writes this kind of stuff, where he talks about anger being equivalent to sin. And then Jesus, you know, puts it up a level and equivalent to murder. So I would say when it comes to righteous anger, um, it's, I don't know, it it might exist, but boy, I don't know. I've never been part of it. How about that? Mm -hmm. Well, where maybe maybe to take a step further back, because I think when we when we think about what we would call righteous anger as Christians, the the place that we we would draw that from would be what we see in God's realm or in our Lord mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. So where and maybe that's a, a place at least to to start thinking about how how does how do we see God being righteously angry? Yeah, I mean you look at um, uh, when he is in the temple and he kicks out the. The money changers, you know, there's a righteous anger that is there where if you're not worshiping the true God, um, you're not worshiping correctly, those kind of things. He's very impatient with anybody who doesn't show faith or doesn't have faith. And so the religious leaders who are supposed to be the ones who have faith, he gets angry with them when he's about to uh, heal somebody on the Sabbath. Um, those kind of moments are where we see see Jesus being righteously angry. One, because, well, he's just simply righteously angry because he is right. He's God, you know, himself. And it, it comes back to the faith, um, understanding of who God is, and, uh, and he gets angry when people are denying the very precious gift that he gives, which is salvation, forgiveness of sins, and a new life in him. So then, to what, we, what I think, the move that we would try to make as Christians is, in, well, if we see... Jesus be righteously angry, then surely there's a way that we could be righteously angry. And I, I like I like the example that you brought out about about Life Sunday, because that I, I think that's a good a good place where we see something in our world, and we know that it is contrary to what God has given in His Word. 
that, that this is just a very clear example that God has, has given life and, and we've got a world that would rather have death. And so we, we would see that as a, a place where we would have this righteous anger. And again, as, as you point out in, in the article that, that Dr. and I, I read it a while ago, I haven't reread it recently. It's not that he, he, he would say or that, that we would say that there's no, no possibility at all of, of our sharing in a righteous anger, but it very quickly turns into something else. And, and as you were talking earlier, what, what was brought to my mind uh, was in, in Luke chapter 13, where Jesus is, is first approached by some people, and they want to talk to him about some Galileans uh, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So, so apparently Pontius Pilate had, had killed some Galileans while sacrifices were being offered. It had been a horrible thing. And if ever there would have been a moment for righteous anger, that would have been one of them. But Jesus doesn't direct them to get angry at Pontius Pilate. Rather, rather Jesus puts it back on them, right? He says, he says, you think they were worse sinners because this happened to them? No. He says, unless you repent, you too will perish. And so, so perhaps where we, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, so, so help me out here, but it, it, perhaps in those moments where we would want to be righteously angry, Maybe the, the better response is to take that, and instead of letting that anger go and get out of control, but to take that as an opportunity for repentance, an opportunity for lamenting where this world and its sin has, has gone wrong, where we have participated in that in some way, shape, or form, and, and bringing the matter before God and letting him, in an anger that would definitely be righteous, letting him handle it however he sees fit. What, what do you think, Pastor Finner? Oh, uh, you know, and it, it's it's... I think well, 100% agree. 100% agree. It and it brings us back to Jesus again. Is that when He laments over Jerusalem, mm. um, He laments their lack of faith in chapter Luke chapter 13 as well, and that re- reminds us too to lament um, our own sins. You know, we we grieve uh, the sins that we see in our in our own families. We grieve. You know, because, and I've noticed this too, now I'm a pastor for um, almost 14 years, and one of the things too, I grieve um, this time of year, we get to this to the heat of confirmation and, and looking at the new year, and I grieve the lack of faith that surrounds me, and I grieve the impatience that I've had with my confirmands at times. I grieve as many of my confirmands are now in their, when I started, are in their upper 20s. And grieve the ones who aren't coming to church, and grieve, you know, all these things. You pray, and you bring this to the to the foot of the cross, and then you realize your own failures. Um, and it, this is just something very deep in my heart right now. And it's something where you, you grieve all of that, and you get you can get frustrated or angry, and those kind of things. And God calls us to once again bring that in prayer, um, as the four as the men who brought the the man who could not walk, and they laid him at the feet of Jesus. I mean, literally through the ceiling laid him at the feet of Jesus, and let the Lord take it. That's, that's what we ought to do with anything that maybe gets our anxieties or our anger built up inside of us. And I take those confirmands and I put them at the cross. And then at the same time, I take those impatient times, the angry times, a kid who wouldn't do his memory work or who wouldn't listen and those things. And I take myself to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And, um, and he graciously forgives and fills us fills us with the Holy Spirit to help us move forward um, in that lament and in that grace that he freely and so graciously gives to us. So Jesus warns very strongly here against anger and says, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And you get a a series of of three. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Is Is there a progression going on there, Pastor Finnern, from least to greatest, this matter of, of being liable to judgment, to the council, to the, the hell of fire, you, you mentioned earlier, we're often more concerned about what's going to happen to us in terms of earthly consequences. It seems that Jesus is, is pointing us beyond that. What, what's going on in the progression that Jesus has here? Well, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, first of all, clearly you have the liable to judgment, meaning someone's going to judge you for this. Then you go to a council and that's, well, that's not good. You know, I don't want to go to the I'm I'm terrified of being in front of a judge, and my whole fate of life would be in front of him. So, 
I there's a certain amount where I don't want to I don't want to go through that, so I'm not going to break that law. I'm not going to do this. I you know those kind of things. And then and then clearly the worst of it all is that you would be um, separated from your Lord for all eternity. And so he does have a progression there. And I think at the same time, and Dr. Gibbs um, kind of alludes to this, that the same time all of this shows that there's no wiggle room. I mean, there's no, you can't look under one rock and say, oh, see, it's not as bad there. If I do this sin, um, I only will have judgment um, and from people. Everything else is fine. Or you look at the other one and go, oh, oh see, I, I, okay, I, I might get judged by the council, but I'm still good. I won't go to hell. And then he opens that last one and says, see, okay, there it is. There's no wiggle room out of this. You can't get away from it. Basically, if you anger, you have murdered and you are liable to all judgment of all things, even Almighty God. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, January 22nd. We are studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 with Pastor Brady Finnern of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, prior to the break, we were, we were making the case, as Jesus does here, that in God's sight, even the anger in our hearts that turns into insults against our brothers, that even that is murder. So, so in God's sight, the anger that, that lives within our heart is the same as murder. But what about in, in terms of the way it affects our neighbor? Are there, are there differences in sin when it affects our neighbor? Right, yeah. See, this, I feel like everything when it comes to these Scripture passages, we're always pulled back because of what our children or what confirmation students will ask us. <laughs> because almost every time I've taught that and said, see, we're all, all sin is the same. And then you always have that inevitable, wonderfully inquisitive the sixth grade boy who will raise his hand and go, but clearly it's not the same. <laughs> and and you have to take a few steps back to, to be able to teach this. And I remember it being taught where all the sins are the same in God's sight, but um, there are sins that have more consequences um, and effect to our neighbor as far as how we, um, uh, how we serve our neighbor. It affects that. So, for example... Um, if I lust after another woman, that's clearly different than me actually committing adultery. As far as the consequences for my marriage, the consequences for my, um, uh, my family, for the consequences of my job, consequences of all of those things, they have more of a consequence to them. And it's the same with this. It's just because you've gotten angry does not mean that it's the same as murder that you see in this world. Jesus' main focus here is to be able to um, show people their need for a Savior. I mean, this goes back to what law is, SOS, you know, shows, um, shows our sin, and then the gospel shows us our Savior. He, he really shows a group of people that, just like all of us, want to justify ourselves by more law. See, I've, I follow that law, like the rich young man. You know, he says, oh, I've done all those. I've done all those. And he pulls us back to show, wait a second, um, let's actually look at who you really are and why you need a Savior. For here, um, it's, it's very good to remember, yes, it doesn't have the same consequences for the world. So we do, whenever we have actions or anger, we have to think about the consequences of what we're doing, but also at the same time to realize our need for a Savior and need to bring this to the feet of Jesus in prayer, need to bring it in repentance and to um, ask for his forgiveness. Right. We, we wouldn't want to hear Jesus saying that 
anger is equal to murder in God's sight, and then think that, well, I've gotten angry with this this person, and I've already murdered him in God's sight, so I might as well just go ahead and murder him. I mean, that, that sounds ridiculous to say it, even. I'm just <laughs> laughing at it as I say it. But, but, but that's the point we're trying to make here, is that, yes, the anger has, has murdered him in your heart, but don't then go and murder, leave it there. And I think that that's part of the, the warning that Jesus would, would give here, too, not only to, to expose the depths of our sin, but to show where it starts so that it, it wouldn't grow into that most harmful action toward our neighbor, which, which would be the, the actual taking of his life. That, I think you mentioned James chapter 1 earlier in that progression that, that James lays out, how the desire works its way into the worst of, of sins. And, and here we're seeing that with, with Jesus. So, so he, he continues then, having, having laid out now that anger is a breaking of the fifth commandment, it is a murder of your brother within your heart, then, then he goes on to give a, a bit more of a, a positive teaching, sort of the, the positive in the sense that now, it's, well, if, if I'm not supposed to do that, then, then what should I do? What is my calling as Christian? And, and he uses two different pictures. The first picture he uses is the, the picture of, of a worship life. He, he brings up the matter of offering your gift at the altar. What's, what's that first picture that Jesus uses here, Pastor Finnerd? Yeah, he taught, I mean, it goes back to the old the temple altar, you know, when people would bring a sacrifice there to um, receive forgiveness and um, the sacrificial altar that they would take it to and, and to realize the seriousness of when you do come before God, that you want to come um, with the right heart, you know, with the right mindset, with the right um, worship. And so he's telling them, before you go there to give this, and you still have something to take care of, Go and go and go and take care of it, you know. Um, and so he's really talking. It goes back to the worship life, and in some ways, I think this connects. I've heard this often used in the realm of communion, like if you um, the altar of communion, and and everything I've read, and I, I think it's not a necessary one to one to say, oh yeah, that's that clearly is only to do with communion. But I, I think it has a good understanding of whenever we go do something with the community of a sacred thing like communion, and you're coming together and telling people, I am, we're united here in Christ, that we want to not have more divisions. This is where Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 11, where there was divisions in the Corinthian church. Um, communion does have that one body aspect to it and, and so forth, but ultimately it comes down to the understanding of when we gather together and worship, come before our Lord, how can we make sure that we are reconciled as we are as we are reconciled in Christ, how can we be reconciled with one another? So the the maybe the larger point here then to make is that our worship of God and our our, our the way we relate to Him in a in a vertical way, thinking of God above, we below, is not separate from, or or we can't divorce it from the way we relate to each other on a horizontal level. If if we think right. that that we're going to be okay with God without working toward being okay, without being reconciled to each other, then we're doing something that God never intended. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. And the horizontal relationships that we have with one another affects our vertical relationships with God. Um, you see this quite, quite often when you, when, you, when, you, when you work in the church or you are part of a church, that when there is... Um, when there's conflict among people and there's not reconciliation, that people, uh, it does affect their relationship with God. And, and that's for us, once again, as we talked before, to be able to bring these things before the Lord, but also to bring them to others. I think about this, too, as we come together as, as Christian people. It was about a couple years into ministry. I was talking to another pastor, and one of the comments, you know, you just you get frustrated and you're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a shepherd? What does it mean to be a, um, to serve in this capacity? And also what is a church? And I remember one of the things I said to this pastor is I said, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sick of having to tell people that I did something wrong, you know, that I made a mistake. <laughs> and he, and he says to me, he says, get used to it. <laughs> so just a reminder of, um, that we all make those mistakes, and part of our responsibility as Christians, you know, as pastors, you know, as Christians, is that when we do have 
um, we've made offense or we've had anger or we've had other things where we need to reconcile. Our lives are always in continual need to reconcile with people. That that we do that out of, of, of knowing God has reconciled us back to him and Christ. At the same time, for the sake of other people's faith life, that we, we come to them, we repent over the things we have done, and we, even though it's not fun, it is our calling and it bears fruit, not only um, in faith, but also as a community as we continue to serve and to love as he loves us. Right. I mean, if we we can't go on thinking that i'm going to i'm going to go on being okay with god being reconciled with god right and that's the matter of the sacrifice right the the sacrifices were given for for god to atone for his people's sins to bring them back into fellowship with him and, and so if we think that that well okay god's doing that for me he's bringing me back into fellowship and then over here is another another guy who god's brought him back into fellowship then it, it, how can i not be in that same fellowship with with him with that brother and if there's something standing between the two of us then then that that re- reconciliation needs to take place to be consistent with the reconciliation that God is is giving me and, and so we we can't like we, we don't get to ju- it's not just me and Jesus is, is the is the thing right it, it's not just okay I'm good with Jesus so it doesn't matter if I'm good with with my fellow Christians no no if you're going to be okay with Jesus, if he's going to justify you, then, then you need to be reconciled with the rest of the people that, that he has justified as well. And that's, that's what's behind, I think, all of this, which is then why, as you pointed out, we would take this passage, even though the, the altar here in verse 23 is not, not the altar that we would have in our churches today, but we would take this passage and think about how it relates to our communion practice. That, that when there's something standing between the brothers and sisters who are gathered in the congregation, that we reconcile that before we approach the altar. And, and so maybe it's not, yeah, like, like you said, not a one-to-one sort of correspondence, but, but certainly uh, something that we want to keep in mind in the way that we come to the Lord's table to receive his body and blood, yes? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, that's, and that can be a, a very, it's a very difficult thing. But yes, we, our goal is to be united as one, in Christ, receiving that sacrament, um, as one person said, it's almost like you're going up there and your arms are extended to one another and admitting that you, um, we are here not only to um, receive me and Jesus, but we're here together to carry each other's burdens, to carry each other's grace, to have mercy upon each other as our Lord does all this to us. I mean, that's just a wonderful picture. And I see that this oneness that he's speaking about um, when people go forward and there's some people who can't literally stand on their own and the person next to them grabs their hand so they can stay up. And it's just this wonderful. I see that as, as part of this, that reconciliation that we are. We're not saying I'm happy that this happened. I'm not saying any of those kind of things. Or I'm happy you had anger, but we are saying we are here to hold each other up as ones who are um, um, in the light, who, uh, who understand what it is to be with Christ, and we join together in that name. Right. Yeah. It's not that it's not that we're okay with the sin. Right. When 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 a brother sins against us, or when we sin against a brother, it's not that that that's okay, or it was no big deal. But rather, what what need what's needed at that moment is forgiveness. And and that's I mean, so I I, I encourage people, you know, when when someone sins against you and they apologize, don't just say it's no big deal or that's okay or don't worry about it. No, tell them I forgive you. Because that's what that's what Jesus did for you. He didn't he didn't just say your sin was no big deal. He forgave you. So share that same forgiveness because that's that's the sort of reconciliation that, that Jesus is talking about here. That's the sort of reconciliation that, that we go forward to the altar with. That that's where, for example, the, the passing of the peace comes from. It's it's more than just an opportunity to to say hi to your neighbor, right? But but rather to say before we go to the altar, we we recognize that we are at peace with each other because Christ has has put us at peace with him. And so we're, we have that peace together, reconciled, going forward to the altar. There's, there's plenty of, of practices like that, I think, in, in the church. We've mentioned a couple. Any, any others, Pastor Fenner, that you can think of? As far as showing reconciliation? Sure, yeah. Um, no, I, no, I mean, the big one is passing the peace, yeah. I think that's a, a really big one. I've seen it where, when you have confession and absolution at the beginning, you know, a lot of times churches will start by shaking hands, but one church I went to that they had the confession absolution at the beginning, and then there was a time that they greeted each other in the name of the Lord as forgiven sinners. 
was the uh, was the emphasis that they had on that service. And I thought that was a powerful, um, a very powerful reality too. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Or or, or um, in the right after the sermon before the offerings is another another place where you see that the the forgiveness that's been extended in the in the sermon that's been proclaimed now bears that fruit even as we we bring to God our offerings almost all not again not a one to one sort of thing but mm-hmm. but you can yeah. see how Matthew chapter 5 has its fingerprints on on the way that we we do this in worship so absolutely the picture then, Jesus, it seems he, he turns the picture then a little bit. He's, he's gone from a, a worship context in verses 23 through 24, and then with verses 25 and, and 26, it seems now that he's entered more of a, a courtroom judicial type scene. What, what's he doing in those last two verses of our text today? Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting move. Um, so he talks about being reconciled, then he comes back and says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to judge, and he'd be put in prison. Um, he, he almost goes back to this fear that people have of going to jail, you know, the fear we have of having to pay money, as he says, uh, you'll never get out till you pay the last penny. And he goes back to that reality, one, because that's the most upfront thing that we have, you know, we like our freedoms, meaning we want to be able to go home, and we want to be in our own beds, we want to be able to live and to love our families and others, we want that freedom. Secondly, we don't want to lose all of our money, you know. So these are two very major things that motivate us in the world to reconcile things. We don't lose money, we don't lose our freedom. And so he uses that after an understanding of godly reconciliation. For, well, first of all, showing them that you all fall short of this, he shows them godly reconciliation, and now he kind of brings it back to understanding the court. And I, I heard, heard a story once of this um, um, gentleman, actually his name's Ted Colbert. He's the head of what's called Ambassadors of Reconciliation. And he told a story about how he was in this very terrible legal battle with, uh, I think, a former co-worker, if I'm correct. And as they went through this, they spent thousands of dollars trying to figure out an old case and, you know, they were spending money upon money upon money for, I think it was like two years. And finally, they were able to come to reconciliation when both of their pastors got involved and they came together. And um, he speaks about how um, that money was motivating, but yet it still was a heart issue. So, so Jesus brings it back, and he, he reminds us, of, by the way, you're going to lose a lot of money, one that you can use the glory of God. He doesn't say that explicitly, but that's, you know, that's a truth matter of it. And you'll lose some of your freedom. Um, so reconciliation doesn't only help your own faith life, like you said, me and Jesus, or my church, but it also helps in how you live your life and how you'll be able to live freely to serve others, to love him and to love others, and to use all of God's resources for the, the glory of him and others too. So, so in these in these verses, then when Jesus is talking about coming to terms with your accuser, he talks about going to a court and a judge and prison and, and a fine. Is he is he talking about earthly consequences? Is he talking about eternal consequences? Is there a, a mixture of both? What's what's I mean, could we call this a parable, or is it or is it purely earthly? Is there something both going on? What what's that? What's happening? Boy, there? it's 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 crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I would probably. <laughs> It definitely would have a, a, a parable feel to it, not a not a real long parable by any stretch. But he's definitely showing both and because, um, as you said, when we uh, someone comes to you and says, "I'm sorry," well, nobody likes to do that. I mean, I don't like to do that with my kids. I don't like to do it with my wife, and I, and I have to do it all the time. But I every time it's like scratching on a chalkboard. I just I hate doing it because I don't like admitting I'm wrong. I'm a prideful person, but yet he called me to do that. And so um, so when someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry, the thing we do is we forgive. You know, we forgive so that we can move on from this. And And that's what he's encouraging them to do. So when you forgive somebody, that not only has um, um, ramifications for our everyday life, but it also has a faith component to it. Nobody else forgives, you know. Um, the world doesn't want to reconcile. They want to win. They don't want to reconcile and come to terms and submit. They want to win. And so he's showing definitely a faith component to this is the idea of 
of reconciliation, of um, um, coming together as opposed to fighting more. He's and, and he's showing how that this will have an effect on your faith life along with everyday life. So I would say it's it's a kind of parable, a mixture of the spiritual and the um, secular, I guess, the worldly. Um, but it but we would be crazy to think that it would not have a spiritual ramification that. When two people, as I said with Dr. Kober, two people who are fighting forever actually come to reconciliation, people notice that, and it has a faith and a um, um, it has an effect on the world in faith and also in how we live. And that's that's a good reminder because this is all following what Jesus says in in verses thirteen through sixteen, where he calls he tells his disciples that they are the salt of the earth, they are the light of the world, and, and as you said. This sort of this sort of forgiveness is well repentance and forgiveness is just not found in the world anywhere else. It, it's not the and, and you know you're talking about I, I think you were talking about it's very difficult to say I'm sorry to someone else. <laughs> I, I I think it's just as difficult in many cases to say those words I forgive you because oh. we we'd like to hold on to that grudge. We'd like to hold on to that debt. So that we can pull it out at, at that moment when it serves us best, whenever we need that trump card, and we can say, "Ha, I've got you now because you did this to me." And so I think I'm mean, both sides: the the "I'm sorry, I forgive you," the repentance and the forgiveness, are, are equally difficult for our sinful natures, and and both sides are are just not going to be found in the world. But when we when we exercise it within the Christian Church. Wow, what what salt that gives to this earth? What what light that shines on on Christ, who's the one that that this reconciliation has has been given to us in Him. I mean, it's it really is a, a quite the quite the beautiful thing when it happens, as, as you've already described for us a little bit. Go ahead, Pastor Fenner. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the stories I've heard is on uh, Steve Hartman um, on the road which is on Sunday nights, and it's about two-minute snippet. You look on YouTube, and one of them had a story about a man who was walking down the road, and and a police officer arrested him for possessing and, and selling drugs. Well, this man had no drugs on him. He had nothing on him at all. The police officer wrongly accused him and just simply wanted to make an arrest that day. So this man went to jail for a few years, and he talked about how he <laughs> all he wanted to do was go and hurt this police officer. Well, then the police officer goes to jail because he did other things. And then they eventually have to go to this ex-convict place to work. And he tells a story about the police officer, ex-police officer, goes to this man, knows who he is, knows what he did to him. And, and this other man who had been in jail for years did nothing to do but hurt him. And this police officer came up to him while they were at this ex-convict place and said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And the man, the man who had wanted nothing to do but hurt him said, that's all I needed. And he forgave him, and now they do talks about reconciliation and forgiveness. And it did, at the very end, talk about the Christian faith, but that, that we all want to have that story, don't we? Where people come together when you don't ever expect them to come together. And I think that is the essence of what Jesus is saying here, is one, we all fall short, that two, um, we come together and worship as one, as sinners and forgiven him, and from that, God works by his Holy Spirit in our everyday life, reconciling us to one another um, for his glory and for the sake of our neighbor. I mean, it's just a powerful reality that this is what God is doing every single day. What a joy. Mm, right, and, and for us as Christians particularly, it's, it's centered in Christ, so that it's more than just a feel-good story, but it, mm. it it's a reality because of what he has done for us, the reconciliation that he has accomplished between God and us now is actually made concrete. It's, it's lived out among his people, a gift from him to his church that then shines a light into this world upon him and, and the good news that, that he has, has come as our Savior. Pastor Fenner, we got three minutes here left on the morning. Any, any points that we didn't get to or, or kind of summarize, draw things together here for us as we conclude this morning? Well, as we look at it, you know, there we all have an anger issue, <laughs> and we all uh, are going to have varying levels of it. And this is one of the very difficult things of coming together as a community, is that some people will be very angry at 
at certain things, maybe a childhood thing or a, a bitterness over something, that we all bring that to the table. And it, it reminds me, first of all, to to check myself at the door and what I have a tendency to be angry about, but also to be patient with one another, to pray for that fruit of the Spirit, um, that He will allow us to be patient with one another, because we all need more grace, we all need more love, and, and this goes into our preaching and teaching and visitations and, and love and care for one another, that, that when we see that reality, that we all have this issue, and that we all fall short. Although we've never murdered, we have murdered someone in our heart, and we look and we repent, we pray for other individuals, and then we pray that he would give us, as it tells us in, um, in the epistles, the ministry of reconciliation, that we can do this as God's people, not because it's ours, but because it was first given to us um, by Christ, who now lives in us, and that salvation that was won on the cross is, is shown to us to reconcile with others for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of the faith and love for other people. Pastor Brady Finnern is the pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Pastor Finnern, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You have heard that it was said to those of old, Jesus tells his disciples, here's what people are teaching you. You shall not murder. You've done that, right? And that's not the conclusion Jesus draws. Instead, he digs deeper into God's Word. He goes to the heart of what God has given in the fifth commandment. It goes deeper than just the physical act of taking someone's life, but rather it goes into the heart, the place where our sin springs forth from. And Jesus says that to be angry with your brother, to insult your brother, that is the same as murder in God's sight. Lest we would try to justify ourselves thinking, oh, I have not done that. No, Jesus will not give us that out. Instead, he draws us back to the reconciliation that he has won for us with God the Father. He has given his life in our place to reconcile us. And in that reconciliation that we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes a concrete reality within his church. We forgive. We repent. We share that repentance and forgiveness with each other as brother and brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a forgiveness that the world does not know. It is a light that shines into the world, to shine a light, not upon us, but upon our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.